Hello and welcome to episode four of the Right for Life podcast. I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Mike Hurley. Hello, Mike. Hello, Ian. How are you doing? I'm very well, man. How are you? Yep, not too bad. Keeping it real, hanging tough, that kind of thing. Oh, all of those things that you do. Like the new kids used to, before it all went belly up. Um, Today we're going to be talking about... um, What are we going to be talking about? We're going to talk about iBooks author later on. Mm Mm-hmm. And a little bit about that, just some thoughts and opinions. I like to talk about the hot topics that are in the news right now. Um, and then we're also going to be talking before that a little bit about um, speaking in public, really, I guess, and spoken word nights in general, and why I think it's a good idea to be doing that kind of thing on a regular basis. Lots of different uh, reasons. Um, and uh, And that's it. There are two main topics. But before that... Um, we have. Uh, I asked on Twitter if anyone had any suggestions. We had some very good suggestions uh, for topics, um, and I've put them into the old uh, topic bank. I've got a bank now. It's like a proper bank account um, where I put in topics and uh, Snickers and things like that. Um, <laughs> little chocolate joke. Just made that up. Um, and first, someone uh, asked. I can't believe that they remembered in uh, that I'd brought this up in the first of our all-new Right for Your Life podcast episodes, and that was this whole thing about Shownate. Um, now, Mike, do you want to explain the origins of Shownate? So um, this was a conversation that myself and Brett Kelly of Cooking with Brett and Mike had um, prior to starting that show. He was talking about whenever I, instead of saying, oh, I will put a link to up to that in the show notes, to use the word Shownate instead. So he was just trying to turn it into a a doing word, turn it into a verb. Yeah. Um, so instead of, of saying course, to, to, to show note, I guess that is the definition. A show note is to show note. Yes. And I, I mean, I have just thought of another reason why it's wrong, but my original reason for why it was wrong was just not knowing the origins of where it came from. Originally, I thought that it was it was like a, a portmanteau. Or I don't really know how you pronounce that. The person on Wikipedia pronounced it, Portmanteau, and I'm not entirely <laughs> sure that I couldn't really couldn't really figure out what was going on there. So, um, but I'm going to say portmanteau. Portmanteau could be either. Don't ring me up, and definitely don't ring me up because you haven't got my phone number. <laughs> definitely don't do don't that. Don't look me up and then call me. No, but a, a portmanteau, portmanteau is um, is where you uh, blend two words together. So the first part of one word usually, and then the second part, uh, second part of or the last part of another word. So it's become very popular uh, these days, of course, because of um, uh, celebrity magazines like in the, in the UK, like Heat and Hello and OK and other one-word uh, examples. Um, so they, they, they refer to Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie as Brangelina. So that's showing the start of Brad, you know, what you can work it out. Um, so that's a portmanteau. Another example would be like brand names quite common, as it says here on Wikipedia. This is where I'm getting this from. <laughs> um, so Comcast is a portmanteau of communication and broadcast. Cinemax is a portmanteau of cinema and maximum. Well, that's a slightly different one because it isn't the end of... It's not a cinema. No, but you know, they must be right. Verizon, portmanteau of Veritas and Horizon. Anyway, you get the gist. So that's what I thought it was. But actually you were just, you were just, uh, it was just being, you've been daft really and just you know, having a bit of a, having a bit of a, a bit of fun and turning it into a verb. But of course, to note something is a verb anyway, so it was all unnecessary after all. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> I'm only kidding. I don't really. I, I, it's uh, we should we should definitely show Nate everything. I, I didn't really mind. I don't really get mad at anything. It's one of my greatest features. I think generally good at get, not getting mad. I have got a list of my most. Uh, Great features. I presume you've got, <laughs> you've got a list of your own. This has been a very strange start the to the side podcast. Of the box of the Ian Broom action figure. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Um, uh, modesty, that's the second one. Right. Oh, dear. Shall we, uh, shall we talk about uh, sensible things? Yeah. Okay. Spoken word nights. So I ran a spoken word night for a couple of years, and it was brilliant. It was called Words Aloud. I've mentioned this before. In fact, I mentioned it in the last episode. Um, and um, it was great because people we had people who hadn't um, 
ever spoken in public before, and they certainly hadn't read their own work out in public before. And then we had people who'd done it loads of times and were very experienced. And so it was a really good mix, and it was always um, always, uh, always good fun, but always great to watch, especially those people who'd not done it before, watch them just an absolute bag of nerves. You could see them shaking, holding the piece of paper, and you, you think you're just praying for them, just willing them to uh, get all the words out and do it. Uh, do it properly and uh, do themselves justice and um, of course when they did they were just absolutely elated and you speak and afterwards and they oh thanks oh it was amazing thanks for thanks for thanks for letting me come on it was always oh, amazing and um and uh they didn't talk like that um i don't know who that was that was reading that particular night but um it was great it was fantastic and um speaking in public is a, a is quite a difficult thing and it's it's quite um it's quite a uh, quite a big step to actually put yourself on the line, uh, and and when you've when you've cre- it's quite a big thing for some people to actually give their work to someone else to read, as in just for them to sit down on a sofa and read it to themselves. To hand your work over to actually let go of it is quite a big thing. It can be difficult. It can be um, upsetting and dramatic. So to actually stand in front of an audience and effectively broadcast your work um, is even even more difficult. Because you're allowing yourself to be judged, which I guess you haven't really so much before. And you're not only allowing it; you're kind of asking for it. That's the yeah. whole. That's kind of the whole point, um, um, in a way. Um, but the, part of the, again, part of the reason I thought this would be a good topic um, is because, of course, there was a time when you recorded uh, the first bro show, presumably, and put that out for the first time. That must have been quite a big thing for you so before i start talking about why i think people should um try and pluck up the courage to do these things um i thought i'd ask about you so what was your how did you feel before you recorded the first before you recorded the first bro show and put it out there but also is it kind of are you inherently a an, an extrovert did you are you quite have you always been quite willing to um put yourself out there and um, and and show people what you've got um, not really. I mean, even even these days, after all this practice of talking, I still struggle like speaking in front of a room of like ten people at meetings and stuff. Like I'm fine sitting down. It's as soon as you put me on my feet, that's when it all goes to hell, really, because um, it's then that attention being drawn on you. Because I guess really from the podcasting, it's not to live people, which makes things a lot easier. Like you know, I, I'm just saying it to you over the phone, um, looking at my computer screen so the nurse aren't there where um i mean even when we recorded the first episodes of the bro show they that they weren't the nerve-wracking thing i still get nervous when i record new things so um it may be like the first episode of a new show there's more nerves than the others but the worst comes from a new guest so every time i have a new guest on someone we've not spoken to before um that's always a nerve-wracking experience because it's a new actual other human being that's there listening that that so yeah i i still do suffer from those nerves because and it is kind of still speaking in public in a way because i've got another person there to listen and to give me immediate feedback and that's that's the key to it i think is isn't that such a strange thing that you just what you in in theory what you just said makes no sense whatsoever mm-hmm. you're saying that you that if you speak in front of 10 people you get extremely nervous but if you speak in front of thousands of people which is collectively what you do every single week then you're perfectly fine with it so mm-hmm. we we know that there's going to be a lot of people listen to this what we're talking about right now and uh and we're kind of fine with it. I mean, and I'm, I'm say, I say what you, I'm, I've just said that what you've said is, is a bit, makes no sense, but I entirely agree. I, uh, whenever, even when I was, uh, I was the compare for words aloud. So even when there were nights where I wasn't reading any of my stuff, the fact that I had to go on stage and kind of hold the entire night together and, you know, try and be, uh, do my very best to be occasionally amusing or to try and link one person to the next person, just, you know, be a compare. I was absolutely terrified every single time. It didn't matter how many times I did it. I was always extremely nervous when I first got up to do it. Um, and it, it, it kind of doesn't make sense. You would think it would be fine. You would either get used to it or, or, um, or, 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 or I guess just with experience, um, get better at it. So you'd stop worrying because you, you kind of knew that it would be all right. Um, 
But uh, the immediate feedback thing, I think that is quite a problem. You can see the whites of people's eyes, can't you, when you're presenting to people at work or if you're, if you're reading from a, from a stage. Um, I guess you, you do get that um, immediate feedback. So you were, you were never in like school plays or anything like that at work. You were never kind of, I don't know, like um, some sort of... Uh, you were never like a donkey. Um, I, have, I, I did do a lot of acting as a child. Um, not like in acting schools or whatever, but, but like I, in, in school plays and stuff. And I, I never really had an issue with it until I became an adult, which is weird. So you're a bit like um, Drew Barrymore. Yeah, a bit, quite a bit like Drew Barrymore. Yeah. And I imagine if you were Drew Barrymore, Terry from the Bro Show, he was probably like a River Phoenix or something like that. Or Adam Sandler. Any of these people. Mm. But it's um it's a strange old thing the old performing and it's um but it's it's very important and there's lots of lots of good reasons to do it um and um and and uh, I shall go through them I guess <laughs> I've got a list it's always good to have a list um although the immediacy of people being there listening to you is quite terrifying it actually it's the kind of feedback that you can't get from just sitting on your own and reading your own work to yourself, uh, either in your head or out loud, or by giving it to someone else. There's something about getting that immediate feedback, especially if you're if you're reading a piece that's supposed to be funny, or even if it's supposed to be sad. Um, then you you know straight away if people if you've got what you think is the, a really good gag in the middle of your your poem, and uh, you read it out and it's complete silence then you probably haven't got a really good gag Mm -hmm. unless you delivered it really badly i suppose so that kind of really immediate feedback from an audience it is the most terrifying thing but it can be unbelievably valuable um um, but also the other thing about actually reading your work out loud is that you get to hear parts of your writing that you wouldn't normally um i guess i guess here because it's it's when you read anything it's all about rhythm like well when you write anything it's all about rhythm but when you're actually performing it, then uh, the rhythm of your sentences suddenly become really important because you're, you 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 rely on the rhythm in order to deliver whatever it is that you're delivering properly and in a sensible order. So if you've got um, if you've got a comma in which probably didn't ought to be there, and you're halfway through a sentence and you come to that comma and you naturally just sort of do a little pause and then you think, hmm, that doesn't that didn't really feel right, then you kind of you you know about it because you've stood there and done it in front of an audience. And then the same so, in the and, in the adverse as well. Like so, if if you've got a really long sentence and there's no commas, then you realise if there should then be one. Absolutely, that's ex- exactly how it works. And sometimes you might not notice that you might because you read in you read in your head differently to how you read out loud. And I mean, I encourage ev- anyone to read their work out loud anyway just themselves you feel a bit stupid but it's it's the same principle you get to hear the rhythm of things it's just that when you do it in front of an audience you really get to hear the rhythm of things because it's you get that immediate feedback but also um you just you're just you're so hyped up that you're far more conscious of what you're actually reading so i could read a sentence out of my own sat in my living room and it it could seem fine because you know i'm just reading it amongst a whole load of other sentences but with that i guess that heightened state of anxiety that you get with just wanting it to be perfect when you realize that it isn't quite perfect um then what well, you you could be mortified about it if it's a real mistake but generally speaking it won't be and no one else will probably notice but it means that you can then go home and just make those adjustments it's amazing you can, you can really hear like just just like the kinks in in your sentences or in, in your clauses within your sentences um it's it's just another part of the editing process i guess mm-hmm. um but it's it's, it's extremely useful um, do you ever read your, cause you do, you do, I mean, you're writing your book and you have, you write blog posts and things like that. Do you ever read it out to yourself after you, when you finish just to check that it's kind of has the, has that kind of rhythm that you want it to have? Yeah. I kind of mutter it, you know, like when, when I read things back like that, I tend to, to sort of mouth them a bit anyway. Yeah. I'm a bit yeah. of a terrible reader, but, um, so yeah, that is a way that I have used in the past to make sure that something reads correctly. Yeah. So confidence, that's also a very good reason to do this, this uh, to, to go to a spoken word night and perform your work. Um, the more you do it, the more confident you'll, you'll be. I mean, it sounds fairly obvious, but in my experience, no one 
is really that mean. I mean, we were we made we went out of our way because there was a core group of us that ran Words Aloud. We were very good at whoever was reading. We were very good at whooping and hollering no matter what happened. Um, and you know, no. Fortunately, the quality was generally it was all right. I mean, there was obviously some better than others, but um, it was generally okay. But it didn't really matter. We supported people no matter what, and I think that's generally the case. You, the very the very worst that you will get is sort of polite polite applause. I mean, you need to go and maybe a little muttering, you know, unless you say something deeply racist or homophobic, <laughs> in which case you know you're going to be in all kinds of trouble, and you. You know, you shouldn't be doing those things anyway, so you deserve all you get. But, um, you know, if you've just, if you, if you feel like it hasn't gone well, or, or you've got your words wrong, or stumbled, that, that kind of thing just happens. But the more you do it, the more confident you'll get. And, you know, I can, I can, I, I say this with a great deal of affection, Mike, I, I, and I think you'd agree that the, uh, your podcasts now are of a, of much better quality than they were when you first started. It's only natural. You are much more, uh, you speak much more confidently. You've got, um, I would say, you've got your own sort of style. I mean, it's just, it just comes from experience, doesn't it? And, mm-hmm. and confidence. Do you say that's is that fair? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And uh, I, I make a lot more bad puns now than I used to. <laughs> Indeed. And um, so, yeah, I mean, and the other thing with as you get more confident and and you realise that no one is going to be really horrible to you if you get the odd thing wrong. Um, generally speaking, it's the opposite. People come and say kind things to you afterwards, and you start to feel better about your writing, but just better about yourself. I mean, that sounds a bit kind of self-help, but you do. When you get good feedback about something, then you do feel kind of all kind of warm inside, and it's um, it's a very good feeling. Um, so I guess what I'm saying there is don't panic. Just go for it, and it'll all be fine. No one's going to bottle you off stage or anything like that. Depending on where you read, I suppose if you go to some spoken word nights, maybe they do do that, but not any I've been to. Um, another one. Uh, feel free to interrupt any time. By the way, okay, it's a, lot, it's a lot of me talking. Um, I don't suppose you've been to a lot of spoken word nights, though. So I've picked a topic you can't really. No, I've not been to any. Not just not many. Well, you you should do. I think you'd enjoy it. A good spoken word night. It depends what kind of. Um, Depends, because they're quite varied. So words aloud, we were very keen on making it quite, quite a um, inclusive, very kind of uh, welcoming place to, for people to come. So you, it was each person had three minutes to read whatever they wanted. So you could read one of your poems, you could read a part of a short story, you could even read an email. So some people did they read, read they. Uh, read out emails you could read other people's work i know it sounds boring but obviously they picked particularly good emails uh no spam or anything like that it was all of a board viagra yeah indeed um but it was because it was everyone was limited to three minutes it was you never really got bored of listening to one person because that does happen you can listen like I, i'll be honest with you i find it quite difficult to keep track of um, anyone reading anything for any length of time. I'm I'm quite the daydreamer. So if someone reads their short story and it takes what ten minutes, well, I just I can barely keep track of what's going on after three or four minutes. And you just what end a up great compare you are. <laughs> well, I was fine because we kicked people off after three minutes, so I was fully fully aware of everything that was ever said at Words Aloud. But I've been to many other events and I've performed other events and I've and I've and there is no. In fact, this is this is kind of if you do go to spoken word night, this is a good tip. Keep it short. If you've got a short story, you think, well, it's a short story. It's it's short. That'll be fine. If any of your what you're planning to read goes over five minutes, cut it down. Do not read it because people will not be able to keep track, and people will get bored, and you will know that they're bored when you're reading it out, and it will feel terrible. <laughs> There's nothing worse than knowing that. And I mean, I've I've read my novel out, not the entire thing. I've read like a. We're not getting three minutes. I hope. That would be very boring. Um, but I've, um, or oh, hard to keep track of. It'd be, wouldn't be boring, it'd be brilliant, yeah. but very hard to keep track of. Um, I, yeah, I've read a chapter of my novel out, and halfway through I've thought, I've been reading here about 10 minutes. There's no way that if I was sat there that I would still be listening to what I'm saying. And you just, that's just the truth of it. People, it's, I think it's a physical thing. It's just impossible to keep track of what someone's saying for that length of time. And what's going on, the characters, what happened there. You know, that's not, it's, yeah, keep it short. Podcasts are a great exception to that rule. 
people can dip in and out of podcasts though that's kind of the beauty of it so if i'm listening to a podcast i might listen to 20 minutes on my walk into work and then not listen to it again until the next day i'm walking into work or walking home mm-hmm. but when you're stood there in front of an audience you don't really have that luxury of switching <laughs> switching it off for a bit <laughs> just shut up for five minutes please yeah or, or can you just read that bit again because i didn't understand a word of what you just said you can't really do that Unfortunately, so it does. Uh, it does depend. So I, some some spoken word nights are like ours, like kind of very inclusive, good fun, and you know a little. As I said last week, a little bit boozy. Come you know ten o'clock, things can start to get a bit exciting. Um, but others are much more literary. So um, I, I've read parts of my work, uh, you know, and they are, to be fair, these events are much more important and have got much better status, probably. Um, but they can be quite literary, so a bit more stuffy and full of people sort of nodding and going, mm, yes, mm, 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 mm. Bloody good show. Um, I mean, they're all right. They're not having some sort of terrible episode. They're just sort of <laughs> nodding and agreeing to whatever's being, with whatever's being said. But, you know, they are. They're a bit more sort mm-hmm. of stuffy. But, um, yeah, I, I recommend that you should go, Mike. I think you'll enjoy it. And um, I certainly recommend anyone that's uh, listening and, and is a writer, if you've not been, because I think I'm, I think I started this podcast just assuming that people would know what a spoken word night was, and having been to one, but um, maybe, maybe, maybe they don't. So uh, yeah, fine. There'll be one in your local uh, town, city, village, whatever. And uh, and if there isn't, you should set one up. Shall I go back to my list? Yes. I've not got many left. Uh, so the other thing is, it can lead to other opportunities. So one of the most satisfying things about Words Aloud is that when we ended it, we decided to do a bit of a, um, a bit like uh, the UK version of The Office where they kind of just made two series and then got out while they were still very successful. Um, so we we kind of took a similar sort of tag. We, we kind of, we got a bit sort of... Um, um, uh, we didn't get we didn't get fed up of it. That's not the right way of saying it. But it, it became quite difficult and quite time consuming to keep it going and to do it the way we wanted to do it. So we decided to end it after a straight two years. We started we ended it two years after we started, and um, and um, the best thing was that people were obviously they wanted more. We, we, they loved going there and performing. And uh, the great thing is that what's happened since is that there are now various other spoken word nights and one guy has set up his own podcasting kind of network, much like yours, um, uh, uh, off the back of Words Aloud. And other people have basically gone on to do other projects and they've done it with people that they met at Words Aloud. And these are just people that came along to read their work. They stayed for a drink afterwards, got talking to some of the other performers and started different creative partnerships and new projects. And they've gone on to do all sorts of different things. So not only is it a great way to kind of uh, improve your own work and I guess be do it for kind of quite uh, intrinsic or selfish reasons, it's actually quite a good way to just meet people, other people doing similar things to you. Um, They're in the same position. And um, and perhaps um, it might lead to an opportunity that you hadn't actually thought would come from it. And of course, and of course, I guess you promote your work as well. That's uh, I guess that's uh, tied in with that. Is that obviously if you're reading your work, then you are promoting your work, whether it's finished or not. So, for instance, uh, if forward slash when I have a published novel, um, whenever I read my work, I will be basically I'll be promoting it. It will be it'll be um, you know I'll be shopping it round. Um, as much as I am trying to get better at reading it. Um, right, I'm going to take a little drink here, Mike, while you say some words. Uh, well, I might as well just carry on with the next part of your list, even though I don't know what it will be. So the next bit that we have is to meet other writers in the same position, which Ian says is invaluable, yeah. which which I can imagine um, would be, because I guess if you're starting out, um, it's like me with this podcast, really, is that I'm... I'm starting out trying to to write a book of my own, um, and I get to to listen to Ian's great advice every week. So it's and it's nice to know that there are other people either trying to do it or struggling like me. Yes, and we're gonna we actually are going to touch on this slightly with when we talk about iBooks author, or I'm going to touch on it a little bit. Mm-hmm. There is this whole world of uh, writers online. Excuse me. A bit of Windy Pops again. It's a killer. I don't know why I drink beer before I do this podcast. It's gonna, I'm going to cut my cropper at some point. Um, there are, there's, this huge, there's a huge, huge writing community, and it 
completely opened my eyes. So when I set up Right for Your Life, I wasn't really aware of what was out there. I mean, I'd done a bit of research, but actually there are so many people that are writing first novels or trying to put their first poetry collection together or, may, or, or who are just sort of interested in, in writing and trying to work out, you know, how to go about it, trying to learn more about, I guess, um, getting an agent or getting published, but also obviously whether it's a better option for them to publish on uh, uh, independently. Um, and there's a huge amount of people that are in the same position as you. And it's so it's such an odd thing that writing in that it's such a solitary pursuit. It's something that you do essentially on your own most of the time. You are you know basically when it comes down to the nuts and bolts, you are sat on your own with a pen and paper or in front of a computer. And yet there are millions and millions of people that are doing exactly the same thing and going through exactly the same insecurities and uh, worries and triumphs as you are. And uh, the internet is fantastic for bringing those people together or bringing us together, I should say. Mm -hmm. Um, But there isn't anything quite like meeting those types of people in person over a drink or listening to them read their work in person or show you their work in person um, and vice versa. There's nothing like it at all. And, um, and yeah, as well as going off to do all these different projects together, the people that came to Words Aloud formed friendships and have worked together on writing projects and share their work and all that kind of thing as well. So it is a great way of just meeting people face-to-face who are in uh, the same position as you. And it doesn't matter what you're doing, as you say, whether it's podcasting or uh, writing or whatever it might be. Um, it's always good to have some kind of professional sort of uh, or social companionship hmm. I'll just take another drink sorry um, so yes and then I think my last one I have got a, another last one but it's just a bit stupid uh, but my real last one is just that you never know who's listening you've no idea that if that you've got this you, in your city there's a spoken word night you've heard about it's starting to be a bit of buzz around town <laughs> to talk like I'm very old um, there's, there's, there's a buzz around town and you know the, you know, the kids uh, the kids are all going to this place and uh, you decided to go along as well um, well you don't know who's there there could be an agent sat at the back uh, there could be um, a publisher there could be someone who's um, just been looking for exactly the kind of thing that you're about to read out you just never know and it's kind of a very straightforward way of looking at things but it's always what I've tried to uh, kind of do and that is uh, just kind of put stuff out there and see what happens. If you don't, if you're if you're any kind of creative person and you're you're kind of just keeping it to yourself, then you, it will always just stay with you. For me, if you you know stuff will fail, stuff will not kind of come out exactly as you wanted it. But unless you actually show whatever it is you're doing to someone else, then nothing will come of it. So um, you never know who will be there at your spoken word night. You never know. Excuse me, you'll never know who's, who's... I know, I'm really sorry about this. It's very unpleasant for the listener. I apologise. Um, you never know, basically. So just put yourself out there, be brave, have the courage to do it, and, uh, and just see what happens. Yeah, and my final one was just, yeah, and it gets you out of the house. Which is always important. Yeah. But, I mean, it is quite, it is, it is quite important because you can spend so much time writing... That it, you, it just becomes something you're so close to, you never show it to anyone, and it just ends up in a drawer. So actually, getting out of the house and doing something with it is quite—it is quite a, a valid, useful point, I suppose. Shall we move on to iBooks? Yes, why not? And uh, I think you should kick off because you were the person that uh, you were quite keen to talk about this for mm-hmm. a number of reasons. I have looked at iBooks author. Um, I've had a little play around with it, and I have formed formed some opinions on it um but um i'd be very interested to know what you think and for you to perhaps give a i don't know perhaps give a an overview of um what it is just in case anyone listening doesn't know so a short time ago um apple had a press event where they um released their second version of their popular ibooks application for iphone and ipad and they also um started selling textbooks online. Now these textbooks were made in a tool called iBooks Author. Um, So it's an application that you can download for your Mac. It's a free app. And what it allows you to do is to create a book which is specially formatted to work on the iPad. 
Now, um, these books can, in well, they obviously would include text and they can include interactive elements like images, slideshows, 3D models, and the like. Um, it's primarily made um, for textbook authors, but there are authors of other kinds that are using it, like um, some like fiction and obviously non-fiction writers as well. Um, there's been some controversy surrounding the application because um, you you know you can't use iBooks author to create something and sell it unless you're selling it through the iBook store. Um, but I don't really think the controversy is what we're going to focus on. Um, what I wanted to understand from Ian was his perspective as to whether he felt that iBooks author could be a tool that he would be willing to use to publish his work in. Okay, so um, I have a few thoughts on this. I mean, the, essentially the answer is no. But I will, I will, I'll, well, I'll speak for myself first and then I will try and speak very hesitantly on behalf of other people writing fiction um, and readers of fiction. Um, but I do that with some sort of trepidation because I'm not sure. I'm, to be perfectly honest, I don't think that I'm the best person to ask on this. However, this is partly my, pod, my podcast and I'm here. So I will try and give my opinion as best I can. But I think a good good people to speak to about this would be um, our mutual pal, Randy Murray, who has his own uh, sort of independent publishing company and puts things out in all different formats um, but also um, a, a, a really good uh, independent uh, writer who's got a great blog called The Creative Pen and she's called Joanna Pen and she's um, got fant a fantastic blog about how to do how to, I guess how to self-publish uh, but how to do it properly and I guess with integrity and, and she's been very successful so hopefully we might have those two on as a guest in the future mm -hmm. um, for me personally, so A is for Angelica, my novel, uh, deal with that first. Um, I want to get that published traditionally, so uh, when I do so, uh, um, it will be as a paper book, um, and then the most important thing for me is that it will be um, available on Kindle, and it will be available in iBooks, um, as in as in um, it will be available to buy via the iBooks store. So it's it's a novel it's um it's full of words and that's that's i don't have any plans to change that it might be nice with some illustrations in but i don't have any plans to do that kind of thing with the printed version um uh, so i i don't see as i would want to jazz up i guess um, my <laughs> jazz up my my book um uh, and use ibooks author to do something like that plus um Plus, I'd be uh, uh, if I get published with A's Frangelica, I'll be published traditionally. Therefore, it will be produced, um, I guess, by professionals, which is something that I'll come on to again slightly. Um, so, for that, no. However, for uh, I've got several ideas, and I have had for a long time uh, about doing eBooks that I might sell through Write for Your Life. So, for for ages, I've been talking about this kind of post-it note system that I put together. Um, uh, when I was editing A's for Angelica and for ages I've been wanting to write about that and I've got photos of how I did it and that kind of thing so something like iBooks author which allows me to kind of drag and drop almost um, um, a more visual kind of um, um, textbook or book um, then that would seem to be quite a good way of doing it um, but for my actual fiction no so uh, just a couple of points um, that I think are worth mentioning um i think that i think ibooks author is perfect for textbooks it's kind of that's kind of really what apple built it for that it was the the event that they launched at was an education event they see this in my opinion they see this as a as a tool for um people who write put textbooks together but also teachers like if i was a teacher i would think this was absolutely an amazing resource that i could put something together that you know that eventually if my school had ipads or just one ipad for the class whatever it might be it would be a great tool for doing that kind of thing i'm not entirely sure that apple intended this uh, i intended ibooks author as something for people like me who are writing fiction uh, to put together my book and to put it through the ibooks store i just i I don't think that that is what they were trying to do. Um, and I don't, I can't think of a single reason really why any author of fiction would really want to do that. Or, or any author, I guess, who's basically just got a load of words. It's just a textbook, 
you know, text-based book. Um, because, and this is the thing that's a bit of, a bit kind of um, odd with the controversy. The controversy was about partly about file formats, wasn't it? So mm-hmm. the idea that it was it was proprietary, um, and so people can uh, t- tell me if I get this wrong. But if you had if you had the iBooks author format, it had to stay in that format. You couldn't sort of taint. If you built a book in iBooks author, you can't then change it into another format. No. Is that right? You can export it out as a PDF or iBooks. You yeah. Can't, like, you, you can't make a Kindle format book with iBooks author. Yes. But, but the EPUB 3 format, which is what you, all you need to, which is a standard, and all you need to get your book into the iBooks store, which is the most important thing to get a book and get it on sale, that's still there. That still exists. So unless you particularly want to create a book in iBooks author for any particular reason, whether it is because you want to use all the multimedia stuff that can be put into that, then unless you do want those things, then you can still just create your book exactly as you were, you did before and put it into uh, all the stores that you would want it to possibly be in. So that's kind of another point. Two others, which are kind of interlinked. I'm sorry, I ended up talking quite a lot again. I apologize. Um, I did ask for your opinion. Well, that's true, but I'm just giving you lots of different opinions. <laughs> Would you like to give everyone my opinion? No, I'll carry on. Um, <laughs> well, you can. This is an interesting one for you. No one has a Mac. That's. I think that's quite an important thing. This is only available on the Mac, and the vast majority of people still don't have a Mac. I love Apple. I love. Max, more and more people are buying them. Of course, there are loads and loads, so of course it's not no one has a Mac. But the type of people who are like me, who are just writers, most of them will probably have a Dell Windows PC or, or IBM Windows PC, Samsung, whatever. They will have a PC, basically. They'll have a Windows machine. The vast majority of writers who are writing fiction of any kind, um, most of them, yeah, I think it'd be, I, don't, I don't have any figures, but it would be a, a large amount. Therefore, I think as soon as iBooks Author came out, I think most writers of that kind of type, or most writers like me, I guess, most of them will have thought, all right, well, that's just not available, and just not give it another thought. They just carry on producing for Kindle, carry on producing uh, EPUB 3 for the iBook store. Yeah. I've, I've kind of finished. I've got other opinions. I've got lots of opinions, but uh, I probably ought to stop this and let you talk for a bit. So... Um, as I mentioned in in our, our first episode together, um, I my book is is about how to podcast, so it's a podcasting book. Um, so it's like a how to guide, so more akin to a textbook than your novel is. Um, I'm really excited about iBooks Author, and I've had a little play around with it. Um, I threw a chapter in and, and did some some um, some editing there, and the reason that it excites me. Um, as, as an application is because of what I'll be able to do with it. So, for example, um, I have a, a part that I've written about different types of microphone. Now, in any other format, I mean, yes, you can see I can post images, great. But with the iBooks author um, application, I'm able to drop in audio samples. So I could say, you know, um, right, so I've suggested that people for a good starting point could use their iPhone head, uh, microphone that comes with their iPhone headset. Um, and so I could say, we'll click here to hear an audio sample. And then could say, oh, but I use this type of microphone. Click here to hear what this sounds like. So that's one um, quite useful element of it. Um, there's also, uh, I can turn, I have some step-by-step parts. So they I can turn those into slideshows with images. So each step will be its own slide. Um, and then I will have a big image showing whatever it is I'm describing about how you edit that in this application. So I think it works pretty well for, for what I want it to do. Um, I, I reckon that, that the iBooks author version of my book will probably be the most rich um, format. It will have the most information in it. It will have extras, and, and, and I pers- personally think it will probably be the best place you can buy my book and get the most out of it. That's what I think it will end up being anyway. Um, but there is an implication that it puts on on my text, which is quite interesting. Now, obviously, I've I'm not I'm not anywhere near completion yet, so I've not had a discussion 
with my publisher about how much the book is going to cost. But one thing I do know is that um, any book um, that, that is sold on iBooks, you know, using iBooks Author, the maximum price is $15. Um, it, it, that's the maximum you can charge for it. So that puts my iBooks Author version of my book at the maximum it can can be charged for is $15. Now, I would therefore probably want to charge more for the iBooks version because it will have more content and will have taken me longer to produce. So therefore, the, my other versions of my book have to be less than $15, which is an interesting implication mm. because I don't know if, if my book, being a quite niche textbook, would have been more expensive than that. Mm. So I've now got this sort of imposed thing or maybe it just has to be that i need to swallow the loss and the the textbook costs twenty dollars but the ibooks author version costs 15 yeah well, it's it's a it's a difficult one it, but uh, you're, you're just going to have to do some maths i think and work out and work out whether it's worth it because those two versions are going to be wildly different mm-hmm. if you're going to include audio clips, potentially video clips, images, that's a whole whole lot of work, uh, a whole lot more work for you to do. So you have to be, I guess your decision is going to be that you have to be sure that it's worth that extra work that you're going to get, um, I guess, the return on it. So maybe I'm a bit, a bit of a romantic, but even if it is going to be that way, I would still want to make the book that way, just because I just think it will be, for for the reader, the best way. And kind of, you know, in writing this book, I want to help people. So, I don't, I don't think that's romantic. I think that's extremely admirable, and it's exactely how I feel about my book. I, I genuinely, it's something. This, this could be a small tangent, but I, if there's one thing that really irritates me on the internet, it's how writing these days. And uh, this is not a self-publishing rant. I have to preface that every time I actually talk about this kind of thing. But all you hear these days is about the money. So if you go to any sort of, not any, but if you go to a lot of blogs that talk about self-publishing um, or talk about, um, I'm trying to think of another example, but when, when talking about this kind of thing, no one says what you said. <laughs> Hardly anyone says what you just said at all. And it's all about, look how much money that person's made doing it this way and look how much money you could be did, could be making and it's i just it's this i find it unbelievably frustrating and this is how much by by right signing a book deal you don't make that kind of deal right yes and you know what there's it's not that it's not true it's not that there isn't an element of a, a very large element of truth in that but the people or there are the people that are making a fortune are also in the extreme minority, just like Stephen King and J.K. Rowling and all the traditionally published millionaires. They are also in a minority, as are the Amanda Hawkins and the Conrad and the whoever whoever it might be. They are in the minority, whether they like it or or not. Or um, uh, it's it's true. There are most people make make uh, sort of a middling amount amount of money out of writing, no matter how you do it. Um, and it's the reason that I find it frustrating is because I think a lot of the time the quality of the work um, as in uh, people are encouraged to write with dollar signs in their eyes as opposed to thinking about um, uh, the quality and just making their book the best what you said is exactly right my belief is that you should always try and make whatever you write the best you can possibly make it if it takes you several years to do it like it has me then fine it takes several years but don't don't undersell yourself uh by trying to uh, get something out there to try and make a quick book and that is i mean it might sound romantic but to me the writing it's a permanent thing once it's out there it's permanent therefore make it something that you feel like you'll be able to stand by for the rest of your life i guess it's like last some... week we were talking a lot about sacrifice and I guess one thing you should never sacrifice is the content. Well, yeah, I, I, I like to think so, but a lot of people 
don't agree with me. And it's really difficult for me to say the sort of stuff I'm, that I'm saying now without sounding like a massive sourpuss who's jealous of the rise of uh, self-publishing and the fact that it's, it is a legitimate, genuine way of, of, of uh, making a living and reaching readers and doing that. I know all that, and it's I'm, I've got nothing against it whatsoever, and this has definitely been a tangent. But for goodness sake, whatever you're writing... Make sure that whatever you do, in fact, this is going to link back, which is going to be very exciting to what we're talking about. But make sure whatever you do is just professional. So this is definitely another episode. But it's it's if you're self-published, then make sure it's professional. Just like like if I publish traditionally, I will. It will be a professional, professionally done thing, professionally edited, professionally designed. There's no reason why you can't make your work look and be brilliant, no matter how you do it. And, and that's an important thing. So I ask you this. This is the link back. Mm-hmm. One of the issues I also have with iBooks Author, and one of the reasons I said that's going to be a lot of work for you, is that, in my opinion, yes, you do have this tool that you, where you can make your book more jazzy, you can put more things into it, and you can create this a different version of it, I suppose. But I would say that you still need good design. Mm-hmm. If it was me putting a book together, my book together, I would still ask a designer to kind of, do that for me to typeset it i would not feel i would and i feel like i am and i i think you are fairly um design savvy in the sense that i appreciate good design i understand kind of how it works i mean i work for a design company i work with designers but i've seen them work i'm not one of those people and um and so i I wonder if it it could uh i don't know that the, the kind of homemade approach whether it might lead to more problems than do good i suppose oh yeah like i mean even though i would put it all together put all the content together and put it into the ibooks author i would still have the designer the pub my publisher's designer look over it and make sure that it actually looks nice because if there's one thing i don't know it's how to lay out a book right i've never i've never done that before um so i wouldn't want to release it in especially because it's all going to be the same book right you know because i will have um a a very you know, I, I will have a very nicely designed book, like a physical book, um, and you know, a Kindle book, and maybe a different iBooks. You know, like a plain Manila, a vanilla like iBooks version designed yeah. by our great designer. Um, I don't want then my version to be, you know, stuck together with with sellotape, no, um, and shoved into the i the iBook store. So I would still have them look over it and make sure that it, it you know, it looks good. That could be the print version. Hmm. The sellotape version. Just print it out and stuck together with sellotape. <laughs> just put on waterstone shelves. <laughs> yeah, just sneak in, stick it on there. I mean, the, the, the truth is, and I think this is a common uh, common misconception amongst uh, tech bloggers. So when iBooks Author was launched, because I read, I read writing blogs and I read tech blogs, I don't know, don't know how it happened, but that's what I do. Um, and the people that were really talking about it were the people that are in tech and, and I guess who blog about Apple and that kind of thing. A lot of the people that listen to Center Decibels, I guess. Um, but the, they've kind of missing the point. As I said, few people uh, still have would have a Mac, so they would even be able to use this, people that are actually writing novels and that kind of thing. Um, it's it's all about the Kindle still, and and to a lesser extent, the Nook, I suppose, but you know, to a large extent, but slightly less than the Kindle. And what's driving sales of the Kindle and what's driving um, e-publishing in general is uh, is just the average reader. What Amazon have managed to do is meet, is reach um, a mass market. They are now, much like Apple have done with the iPhone particularly, and the iPod even more so before it, is that there was that kind of tipping point, I guess, to use some very modern expressions, um, where they, where they, normal people were buying it. I said to you before the start of this program, that uh, start of this show, that uh, my dad has got an iPhone now, and it's terrifying. He's a normal person; he has no idea what he's doing, but he owns one. And um, and my mum's talking about having a Kindle. They have no interest in technology whatsoever. This is not, this is not really a technology. Uh, books, publishing, all that kind of thing. It's not a tech niche. Um, it is a very old-fashioned niche and it's for very normal people and amazon have conquered that they've reached those people and apple haven't yet because um the way to read these things is on the ipad and whilst the ipad has sold obviously sold incredibly well um people aren't buying ipads to sit and read their james patterson novels or their wilbur smith novels or 
or that kind of thing. You know, it's not the average reader hasn't hasn't the average reader doesn't buy an iPad; they buy a Kindle. Um, and like I say, it's a dedicated e-reading device, um, and that is what is driving the the e-publishing industry, I guess. So I think iBooks author, especially, it feels to me, it feels like an amazing thing for education, for textbooks, um, uh, for teachers, for all that kind of thing. Brilliant for people like you. I completely understand why you would want to use it. Potentially brilliant for people like me who have a blog and want to put together an ebook and include some multimedia features in that book as well and push it out to uh, people who, who may have an iPad. Um, but for everyone else, it's, it's not really on the radar, I don't think. I think it's still quite, it's a pretty niche thing. I mean, even for fiction writers, though, I think what it does do is gives people an easy way to self-publish. Like, I mean, if that's really what you want to do, it's a simple way to do it. But it's, but it, it's, and it, yes, you, you are right. But it's not simple to own a Mac. No, I mean, it is. It is simple. Have that, you have to tick that pretty large box. And the vast majority of people still say, oh, well, well, it's like 800 quid for a laptop. I can buy one for 300 pounds. That, that, uh, it's not the world that me and you live in, but it is the real world that most people will think like that. And those most people are the exact same people who are buying Kindles because they're 80 quid and they just want to read their latest trashy novel or their thriller or whatever it would be. It's not the world I want to live in, Ian. I know, I know. I've tried to persuade people. I agree that everyone should buy an iPad. Well, actually, I've, I'm, I'm, I'm terrible with money, so I've got both a Kindle and an iPad, um, and uh, I use them for different things. But if I want to just read, uh, read a straight book with a novel, then I will choose the Kindle. And I think That'd be the right my, choice. It would. It would. So I'm not. I'm not. I, I'm not dissing iBooks author. I think it's definitely got a place, and it's definitely the future of education, and it could be the future of many other things too, including writing fiction. But at the moment, it has so many. There are so many factors that, to me, just make it still a fairly niche thing. And to the general, to the general public, who won't even know what iBooks author is, but also to the general writer. Um, I think that it's, I mean, you said it's easy, but it's not as easy as it is to put together a Kindle, uh, uh, something that was, um, can be uploaded to Amazon and sold on the Kindle. Mm -hmm. That's about a million times easier. Agreed. But it, it depends on what you want, it does. I suppose. Back to, going all the way back to, to the start. It's all about choice. It's all about choice. So, sir, shall we wrap up? I think we probably should. That was, uh, it's quite long, isn't it? It's quite a long episode. I apologise to everyone. A bumper episode and uh, lots of rambling, quite a bit of nonsense, um, a few belches from me, uh, which I'm, I mainly internalised, but, um, great. great. It, it wouldn't surprise me if they came through on the, uh, on the feed and I, I, I apologise for that greatly, but, um, hopefully I'll, uh, learn to drink something less fizzy before we record next time. It's fine. So, sir, where can people find you if they want to be able to reach you? They can read my blog at writeforyourlife.net, and I insist that they do that. Um, uh, you can get in touch by contacting me on Twitter at uh, Ian Broom, I-A-I-N-B-R-O-O-M-E, and I'm recording much shorter, always less than three minutes, uh, mini podcast. I'm recording something every day, and it's generally been utterly useless drivel so i recommend that you listen to that as well and that's a is that audio boo dot fm slash ian broom same spelling excellent and you can find me on twitter i am i mike i m y k e so until next time thank you very much thank you it's been a pleasure always farewell dear maiden bye